Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. So last week we looked about at men, and I told you last week, ladies, that this week is your week. So today I have an invisible bulletproof glass surrounding me today. Uh, somebody told me I needed to get something like that about preaching a message like this. But today I, I want to label my thoughts with these four words. Make women great again. Make women great again. By means of introduction, before we dive into here, I want you to know that that God's hand can be on men, and God can use men. But I want you to also know that God's hand can also be on women, and God can use women in great and mighty ways. For example, we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and we read about Eve, who was the mother of all living. Fellas, just so you know, without any women, we would not be here today. <laughs> because Eve was the mother of all living, we are now here today. We begin to read a little bit further into the, the Old Testament and we read about Abraham and we read about Sarah. And the Bible actually records Sarah in the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, two women are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We read about Sarah and we read about Rahab. Sarah was a woman that you know that received a promise of God in the Old Testament about how she was going to give birth to a child. And of her seed and Abraham's seed, many of the world will be blessed. And we were blessed through that seed by the name of Jesus Christ. We read about Rahab, who was not given such luxurious of promises. In fact, Rahab was in the city of Jericho, and she was known as, as not being one of the patriarch's um, wife. She was known as being a harlot. So whether somebody has a, has a lifestyle that, 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 that maybe the past is not, not the greatest, I want you to know this, that God can take your past, God can take your pain, and He can use it to further His Word. We begin to read a little bit further into the Bible, and we get into the time of Moses, and we read about Miriam, who came in to assist Brother Moses during the Exodus. We read about Hannah in the Old Testament, just like we read with the children just moments ago, how she was a woman of God who prayed and prayed and prayed. We read all about all these women in the Old Testament. Ruth, Queen Esther, how God's hand was on Queen Esther and she marched into the palace of the king and defended her people. We read into the New Testament. And without a woman, I want you fellows to know, the Savior, Jesus Christ, would have never entered this world or at least the way God designed it. Mary, a virgin, was given birth by the Holy Spirit of God to conceive a child in His name, Emmanuel, God with us. We read about Eunice and Lois who taught Timothy the very words of God. And remember, First and Second Timothy was a letter that Paul wrote to this young man. And he was encouraging him to keep 
all the things in remembrance that he was taught by his mama and his grandma. And now as we transition to the book of Titus, we see that, that Paul's writing this letter, and he's, he's writing these three chapters, a very short and condensed uh, epistle, very similar to First and Second Timothy. And he's writing to Titus, and he's talking about, in the first two verses he, of chapter 2, he talked about men. And last week we looked about how real men love Jesus, and they do. And God wants all of us men here today to rise up and lead the way about our relationship with God. But in verses 3, 4, and 5, we read about the importance of women in the house of God. Today, I want to give you five steps of how we can make women great again. But before we dive into here, I want you to notice the term, the aged women. Last week, we looked at the term, the aged men, and we talked about how we believe that was reserved for, for individuals who are about 40 years old and upward. Now, when the, when the Bible says the aged women, this, this gives the idea, when you begin to study this verse in the context, that these women uh, have went past childbirth. They've went past child rearing. And now they are, they are on the scene as, as they have experienced the, the many uh, experiences of life. And now they are called to lead the example, be the example and lead the way for the younger women. So the Bible says the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. So the first step of five steps of how to make women great again, I wrote down this. Great women live a reverent life. Great women live a reverent life. Now I want you to know that this may be a message geared towards women, but we as men can receive great application from these three verses. So, so men today don't Shut your ears up and turn your hearing aids off. Listen carefully at the Word of God. Here the Bible says that these aged women are to, to be in behavior as becometh holiness. So as I read that phrase, I wrote down the word reverence. So God wants men and women, but specifically here He wants these women in this place, in this ministry 2,000 years ago on the island of Crete, to live a life of reverence before God. Holiness is something that we don't talk about today. Today we, we get this idea that we can sup with the Savior on Sunday, but we can dip with the devil on every other day of the week. But that's not what holiness is. Holiness is living a life that is completely sold out and dedicated to Jesus Christ and to His Word. And as I look out at this auditorium today, I am thankful that there's many people here today that are doing just that, especially some of you ladies. You ladies, some of you ladies, you inspire me to be a better child of God. So thank you. Keep leading the way. But this phrase also gives the idea that we're going to give God reverence in every area of our life. So we're not just going to say, hey God, on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., I'm going to give you reverence. And we should give God reverence right here. I mean, out of all the places that we should, it's here during the church service. But here also I believe that, that when we're driving in the car or we're riding in the car, we were to say, God, we give you reverence in this car. So the conversations that are going on in this car, God, the music that is being played in this car, God, we give you reverence. God, when we turn our television on, we give you reverence of what is about to be played. God, we give you reverence for the things that we view in our phone or on the internet. God, we give you reverence over every area of our life. In other words, we're saying, God, I'm giving you this place and I want you to be glorified, honored, and praised in everything that we say and do. Apparently, there were women in the island of Crete 
who are not living the way that God has called them to live. And, and as I reflect on the island of Crete, I cannot help but reflect on the island of the United States of America and how, yes, there, were, there was a time period when as a whole, our nation sought to live a holy life. There were men and women who lived a holy life. But now I am afraid, church, that we have a generation that is arising and it's here today that doesn't want anything to do with God, that doesn't want anything to do with the Word of God, and doesn't want anything to do with a lifestyle that glorifies and honors Almighty God. So is there any women, is there any men in the household of faith here at Clearbrook that wants to say, God, I'm going to give you reverence in every area of my life? The age women, likewise, that they be in behavior has becometh holiness. You know, the book of Leviticus is probably not your go-to book to read and to study, but when you study that book, the theme of that book is holiness. And God is holy. And the Bible says, in fact, in Peter, the Bible says, Be holy, for I am holy. God expects all of us to be holy. That doesn't mean that, that we walk around pointing our fingers and being like, I'm holier than you. <laughs> Some of y'all really are holier than me because you got holes in your socks, you got holes in your pants, you got holes in your t-shirts. <laughs> but the Bible, when it says holy, it means that we are seeking to live like God. The next phrase, so how can we make women great again? Well, first of all, great women... Live a reverent life. As I read the second phrase, it says, not false accusers. Would you read, read that phrase with me? Not false accusers. Would you read it one more time, please? Not false accusers. And one more time for emphasis sake, not false accusers. Here's what I wrote down secondly. Great women live a slander-free life. Great women live a slander-free life. I, 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 I heard about this statement one time, and, and I think it's so true. Those who gossip to you will gossip about you. Those who slander to you will slander about you. And today, church, apparently in, in the island of Crete, there were these... Now, you know... Men are guilty of slander as well. But apparently in this context, there were these women who were going around and they were falsely accusing people in the church and people outside the church. And they were slandering their name. And today, I can't help but think about how much our conversations are geared towards slander and gossip in the household of God. And it ought not be that way. The Bible says, in fact, James says, how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? The Bible says that when you turn a spigot on, salt water and fresh water can't come out of that same one. And so today, church, I want you to know this. That when we are in our conversations, when we're talking to each other let's let it be slander free why is it that 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 we call ourselves Christians but but for lunch at Sunday we're gonna talk about everybody in church and about what all they should have been wearing and what all they should have been doing why is it that way wouldn't it be better that instead of tearing each other down we build each other up
I mean, imagine going back to this island and here's these men and here's these women. Instead of edifying each other and, and laying up the bricks of the household of God to where we could become stronger in our faith, they were in fact taking those bricks down and, and tearing them down. And, and imagine, imagine how we could impact Roanoke if we would just build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Imagine if, 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 if instead of saying, oh, brother so-and-so or oh, sister so-and-so, oh, man, can you, can you believe what they're doing today and start gossiping about them and start slandering them? And instead of doing that, saying, hey, 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 let's stop and let's pray for this person, that God would, would get a hold of their heart and God would change them and that God would use them. My fellow sisters, you are to lead the way and living a slander-free life. I know it's hard. <laughs> you know, it, it's easy to talk good about, about people who talk good about you, isn't it? <laughs> people say, oh, Brother Brian, I've heard a lot about you. Oh, that's great. Only believe it if it was good. <laughs> You know, I just adopted this, this motto because, you know, I was very naive when I first started preaching at 16 years of age. I was very, very naive. And then as I came here as a 22-year-old to be your pastor, I was so naive. I thought that everybody was going to be my, my good friend. And I thought everybody, Brother Andrews, was going was gonna to like my sermons. And I thought everybody was not going to gossip or slander my name. But I want you to know this, that here's the lifestyle, the motto that I've come up with. You can talk about me all you please. I'll just talk about you down on my knees. And so that's what we are called to do. We are called to when somebody begins to take your name and throw it under the bus. We are called to lift up that person to God in prayer. Live a slander-free life. Live a reverent life. But I wrote down thirdly. Look, look, the Bible goes on to say, this is a very controversial phrase, in fact. It says, not given to much wine. And here's how I summarize. I wrote down this. Great women live a bondage-free life. Great women live a bondage-free life. So the two kind of sins that Paul was was, was, was reflecting on in this context was, was slander and also alcoholism. And here, when we read this phrase, not given to much wine, if you go, if you go and study the, the, the qualifications of a pastor, a bishop in 1 Timothy and Titus right here, it talks about how they are not to be given to wine. But then when you study the phrase with a deacon in, in Timothy chapter 3, it says that a deacon is not to be given to much wine. And so, so, so what does that mean? Does that mean that a pastor like myself can't drink alcohol? And does that mean that, that, that a deacon can, can, you know, drink a little bit? And does that mean here that, that, that a woman, it says not given to much wine, does that mean that a woman can, can, can drink a little bit but just not, not be drunken? The Bible is very clear about drunkenness, is it not? But here's what this verse means. When you begin to study the phrase not given to wine and not given to much wine, it means the exact same phrase, it means the exact same thing, and here's what it means. It means not being a slave to alcohol. So let me ask you this. Can you live for the rest of your life without another drop of alcohol? If you can say yes, then you are not under bondage 
to that. But if you, can, if you cannot say yes, then you are under bondage to that, and it's time that you repent from that and get it right with God. May I, may I go ahead and say it like this? It, 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 uh, can you live the rest of your life without, without having sex outside of marriage? Can you? Well, if you can, you're not under bondage to that. But if you cannot, you're under bondage to sexual immorality. If, if, if you, we could go through the list of all the other sins. And here, here's, here's all that Paul's trying to say. Is he's trying to say this. He said, don't be under bondage to sin. Don't be a slave to sin. And listen, there was a time in my life where I was a slave to sin. There was a time in my life where I was drinking from the wells of sin, but Almighty God stepped in and He saved my soul. And today, church, I'm so thankful that it doesn't matter if you're under bondage of alcoholism. It doesn't matter if you're under bondage of sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if you're under bondage of homosexuality or, or, or whatever it is. The Bible says here that we can receive freedom from all of sin's bondage. Why did Jesus come? Jesus didn't come to live his best life, did he not? Jesus didn't come so that, so that he could, you know, shake hands with all the Pharisees and give them all high fives. Jesus came for one purpose, and that purpose was to go to the cross. And it was on the cross 2,000 years ago when every sin, every lie that you've ever told, every lustful thought that we've ever had, every murder that was ever committed, every sin that was placed on this earth was nailed to the cross and Jesus carried all of that bondage. And in one moment, Jesus looked up to, to, to heaven and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at that moment, the wrath of God collided with the grace of God. And Jesus gave up the ghost, the Bible says. That day, the devil thought he won. That day, the demons of hell thought they had victory over what was named the Son of God. Three days and three nights later, the Bible says that two women, by the way, not two men, but two women came to the cemetery. And they saw an empty tomb. Jesus his death, his burial, his resurrection opens the doorway so that we all can live a bondage-free life. Instead of being slaves to sin, we are now servants of God. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I, I hate to bust the bubble in your life. But, but you are under bondage to sin. And you are, in fact, a slave to sin. And until you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, and until you, you make Him your Lord and Savior, you will always be under bondage to sin. But the day that you bow your knee and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you become a servant of God. So my question for us all today is this. Are you a slave to sin or are you a servant of God? The Bible goes on to say here, it says... It says, um, be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And then number, and right there, teachers of good things. So I wrote down the forethought. Great women live a teaching life. Great women live a teaching life. Some of the greatest teachers that I've ever had in my life were not men, they were women. Whether I was in grade school or middle school or wherever, wherever it was, sometimes the greatest teachers that I have come across have been women. 
And, and in context here, uh, the Bible says that the older women, those who are older in their faith, those who have experienced life to the fullest, they are called to teach the other women in the church. And so ladies, that's why it's important that if you're a younger lady, you get to know some of these older ladies. Because, because some of these other ladies that are in our church, they have read through the Bible and they've studied the Bible and they know the Bible. In fact, many of them might even know the Bible more than me. And I want you to know this, is that, is that as a younger lady, you can learn a lot from an older lady who knows the Word of God. Perhaps that's why our world is in such a mess today. It's because some of the younger men and younger women do not want to learn from the older men and older women. But here it says, teachers of good things. Now, what does this mean? What does this phrase, teachers of good things, mean? Well, here, here's what it means. It means a teacher of the right things. And so, as a, as a Christian woman, you have a high calling and responsibility that you are to teach other Christian women about the right things and about the Word of God. The responsibility that you have is... Is, is found later on in the verses, but I, I want to just pause here and, and just say this, that, that your responsibility is, is to say, hey, hey, here the Bible talks about Sarah. Here the Bible talks about Hannah. Here the Bible talks about Esther. Here the Bible talks about Ruth. Here the Bible talks about Mary. Here the Bible talks about Anna the prophetess in the book of Acts. And, and, and the Bible says about all these women, and, and, and here is how you can take what we, what we read here in the Word of God, and you can apply it to your life. That's the responsibility that you ladies have at your hand. Teach the right things. Now, I want you to know this, that, that you can either influence people to do right or you can influence people to do wrong. And so hear me well today, ladies and gentlemen. Our responsibility here is to teach others how to do the right thing. And in fact, I like what old preacher Likens used to say. He said, do right because it's right to do right. He was quoting uh, Bob Jones Sr. So maybe that, maybe that should sink in a little. Do right because it's right to do right. So I wrote down this. Don't do wrong because it's wrong to do wrong. <laughs> I know it's not very, very uh, deep, but, but it's very truthful. That, that the Bible tells us that, that when you read the Old Testament, you read about these kings and how they did right within the eyes of God. Then it reads how some of them did evil in God's eyes. So here as a congregation, we are to encourage each other to do right in God's eyes. And when we're encouraging people to slander, when we're encouraging people to be a slave to sin, when we're encouraging people not to live a holy life, we are literally not teaching them good things and not the right thing. How do we make women great again? Well, great women live a reverent life. They live a life free from slander. They live a bondage-free life. They live a teaching life. May I ask you this, ladies? Are you teaching somebody God's word right now? Is there another person in your life that you are teaching? But now let me take it a step further. Because you come to a class and you teach. Then it goes further to mentoring. And here's what I believe verse 5 and verse 4 is referring to. I wrote down the fifth and final thing. Great women live a mentoring life life. Great women live a mentoring life. Now, if all you do in your life is teach and mentor your children to do right, you succeeded. I want you to know that. That is your first ministry as a woman of faith is to teach 
those children that God has placed in your life. And then grandchildren. To be a godly influence to them. But look, look at this verse. The Bible says that, that, the, that they, speaking about these aged women, that they may teach the younger women. So here we see that the Bible goes a little bit further. Yes, about teaching you to do the right things. But then, it, then I believe it, 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 it goes and transitions to mentoring. Mentorship. Or in other words, discipleship. So it's important that every woman is discipling another woman. It's important that every man is discipling another man. Because if we could just disciple one person, and that person disciple another person, that person disciple another person, and go on and on and on, then we could see a revolution back to the Word of God. But how were they mentoring these ladies? Well, let's read. read. We're not going to tell you too long of these things, but, but let's just talk about it. It says, women, that they teach the younger women to be sober. In other words, to be seriously minded. And you can't be intoxicated with whatever it is that you're intoxicated with and live a seriously minded life. It says to love their husbands. Yes, ladies, you are called. If you're married, you're called to love your husband. And by the way, husbands, you are called to love your wife. In fact, how are you called to love your wife? Men, in fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a sacrificial love. That's a selfless love. That means you lay down your life for that woman. And if you do that, then I believe that's the secret to a happy and long-lasting marriage is that, is that the husband of the household loves his wife as Christ has loved the church. And if you do that, then your wife is not going to have any problem submitting to your authority of the household. He goes on to say, to love their children. There's nothing like a mama's love for their son or their daughter. I mean, there's nothing else like it. And, and you know, as soon as, as soon as you saw that little boy or that little girl for the very, very first time, there was nothing that he or she could ever say or do to change your view about them. And there's a special bond between a mama and her children. And today you're called, ladies and gentlemen, if you have children, to love them. And I know that some days <laughs> it's a little hard. <laughs> I know that when little Billy Bob and little uh, Sally, you know, has uh, not taken out the trash and not fed the dogs and not done their chores. And you talk about how they're, oh, they, they get on my nerves. And, and if I could go back and do it all over again, I, I wouldn't change it because, because I love them. <laughs> Life is interesting, right? Sometimes it's hard to love them when they're not obedient to you, but you're still called to love them. Even after they get out of your household, and maybe, maybe, maybe you raise them a certain way, and, and maybe they're not living the way that you raised them. God still wants you to love them. And then you can love them back to Jesus. Verse number five goes on. It says to be discreet. This word discreet, it literally means to be self-controlled. So, so ladies, you're, you're mentoring other ladies or your children and you're teaching them and showing them how to live a lifestyle that's full of self-control. Chaste. This gives an idea of, of innocency, purity, and modesty. And that's what a godly woman is. A woman who is, who is completely modest from the inside to the out. And I want you to know this, that modesty doesn't begin with the outward apparel. Modesty begins with the inward condition of your heart. And if you're living a life that's sold out to Jesus Christ, and you're living a life that's trying to get to know Him more and more and more every day, then it's going to manifest itself on the outside. 
And yes, if you're not in business, please don't advertise, um, as one preacher said. It says to be discreet. It means to be, it says to be chaste. But then it says this. Here's the controversial one today. It says keepers at home. You need to understand the context of which Paul is writing. Paul's writing in a completely different context of the day that we're in. But I want you to know this. That, that the reason why women have so much stress on them today is because, yes, they're going out and they're working nine to five. And then they're coming home and they're trying to do, keep up with all the duties of the household. And it's causing a woman to have so much stress and a huge burden. I believe that the highest calling for a woman is to be right here. What this verse says, a keeper at home. I know this is not very popular today. I know that in the rise of feminism, I, I know that there are some good aspects of feminism, but there's also some evil and demonic aspects of it today. I want you to know this, that, that a keeper at home, it literally means somebody, it says a stayer at home. And, and I want you to know this, that that does not mean that you can't have a job. It doesn't mean that, that if the, the, the finances are tight that you can't go out in the workforce. But I want you to know this, is that, that, that the more burdens we put on ourselves, the more temptations we're going to have, the more trials we're going to have. And there's something special about a simplistic life. I mean, have you ever stopped to wonder why Americans are so full of burdens? We have so much on our shoulders today. I mean, it's time that we get back to the basics. Proverbs 31 talks about the Proverbs 31 woman. And in that Proverbs 31, it talks about how there's times where that woman, she, she, she did things to where she could help uh, finance the house to pay the bills. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I am saying today is this, is that God's highest calling on a woman during the age of when she is giving birth to children, is to be there for those children. Now, if God calls you to homeschool your children, then do it to the best of your ability. If God calls you to send your child to a private school of education, find the best private school. And if God, in a sense, is, is calling you to send your children to a public school, make sure it's God's calling and not your preference. It says good. Then it says obedient to their own husbands. So let me, let me explain it this way. This does not mean that the husband is a dictator in the household. It's not what it means any way, shape, or form. Let me explain it like this. Imagine you have a huge corporation, and you have a CEO of that corporation. And then you have managers underneath that CEO. I want you to know this, that the husband's responsibility in the household, he's like the CEO. He has the full, when he stands before God, he is going to be held accountable for everything that was said and done in that household. But when, when he is away and he is out doing what God has called him to do to help provide for his family, the, the lady of the household is the manager of that household. Because let's face it, folks, the men might wear the pants of the household, but we know the ladies with the dresses get everything done in the household, okay? Let's not misunderstand that. But here, the Bible says that, that when, when it says obedient to their own husbands, it literally means to be subject to. And so just as our relationship with God, we are subject to Jesus Christ. And marriage is a complete picture of the relationship that Jesus has for his church. That the same is with the marriage. That just as a husband loves his wife selflessly and sacrificially, a, a, the lady, the wife, is going to submit and be subject to the authority. That's what God is calling young women and older women to do and why 
Because the Bible says that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, they say that six out of ten marriages these days result in divorce. It's really another sermon for another day. But I want you to know this. Is that marriage was created to glorify God. Are you glorifying God with the marriage that you have? Ladies, is God glorified with your life? Is God glorified with your relationships? Is God glorified with how you're raising your children or how you have raised your children? Is God glorified with how you conduct yourself? Today I close with a verse of scripture. Proverbs 31. And verse 30. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you're welcome to. If you just want to write it down, you can. Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says this. It says, Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Favor is something we all desire. There may be a time when you have, well, when you have favor in somebody's life. There may be time when you, when you, listen, let's, 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 let's just, let's just be real today. Beauty fades over time. Just take a look at all the lilies of the field. Eventually, that grass and that beautiful flower is going to fade away. And, you know, you can only paint the barn so many times. <laughs> Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. But the Bible says, a woman who fears God, she shall be praised. If you're a woman today, I want you to know this, that you are one of God's most beautiful creations. God has created you in his image, and because of that, you're beautiful. And because of that, you have his favor. And I hope that you will seek to become a woman who honors, reverences, respects, and fears God. Let's make women great again. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.